This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, it's a musical makeover. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crap all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian, and this week my friends Chris and Eric will be joining me for a conversation about musical chameleons, bands or artists who just straight up change genres. Some of them did it over a long period of evolution, some of them were experimental, some of them were just straight up sellouts. And uh, we're gonna dive in. We always love doing these music episodes. They... Yeah, they make me happy, at least. Anyway, uh, as always, uh, we're always looking to grow the show. So please, subscribe to the podcast. Rate it on your podcast app of choice. Uh, if you want to check out older episodes and you don't want to subscribe, you can always go to the website, maghuge.com. M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. Uh, there you can find all of our old episodes, and you can also find links for the ways to contact us. So, yeah, hook up. Check us out. Talk to us on social media. We are at MagHuge on Twitter. On Facebook, we're the Magnificent the Huge Podcast. Uh, we're on Instagram, and you can always send us an email with show ideas or feedback to MagnificentlyHuge at gmail.com. All right. Uh, let's fire it up and do another show. So we had riots here in Portland, and now Texas had, uh, uh, well, like a snow out. So, Brian, that means some new form of the apocalypse has to come to Phoenix next. Yeah. I mean, I had a power outage yesterday, but I didn't notice because I got solar on my roof. Oh, that's it <laughs> <But> then. <laughs> that's the trifecta. I don't think I get to complain about anything because, holy crap, Chris was like burning his pulp novels and, and, and I assume eating his own feces at that point. Uh, it was full on, like, the movie Alive, basically, but in my own home. It was terrible. Yeah, like like almost 80% of the entire state of Texas lost power during the longest, coldest weather in about 30 years. So we were you're deregulated. Well, yeah, thank God, because if we weren't, then this wouldn't have happened. Uh, yeah, so uh. it, was, it was like seven days of sub-zero temperatures or sub-freezing temperatures. No power, no heat, uh, no water, eventually. Uh, by the third day, my wife and I were just basically ready to give up. Because <laughs> you couldn't go anywhere because the roads were all iced over and treacherous. So even if you had some place you could go get warm, you couldn't get there. So it was mm. terrible. A former governor of yours, though, he, 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 he proved what an incredible incredible idiot he is i was what's his name again uh, uh rick perry oh my god yeah and yeah. and texans Oosh. are happy to freeze as long as we can stay deregulated yeah. are you out of your mind yeah they're all out of their well, fucking uh, minds apparently texas is what happens if you do all the things that texas did not do in the green new deal therefore you can't do those things because texas will happen yeah well, this is the something. deal. They uh, decades ago decided that uh, in order to facilitate that whole idea, myth, if you will, of Texas exceptionalism, that they were going to set up their own power grid 
so that they wouldn't have federal interference. And then so they could keep Enroning themselves. Yeah, but, but yeah, <laughs> over the over the course of those decades. So even going back to like uh, 2011, there was a similar but not quite as bad outage during a winter storm. And they investigated, and they had suggestions made, and they never winterized anything. And then in 2014, something similar happened. Same thing. So here we are again where they haven't winterized because they basically think that uh, a free market is the best way to go for basic utility services. <laughs> so what blows yeah. my mind is they went full on Naomi Klein shock doctrine yeah. and immediately took the shock to, to move it back towards how to, how do the rich people get more money when the, when the main problem, uh, as far as I understand it was that the natural gas lines froze up and, or I guess would they have liquefied first or what? Yeah. Like, a little bit of the gauges. Bit of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, the gauges froze. It was the same thing at the nuclear power plants. Yeah. It was just a general cascade of failures all the way down. And then meanwhile, here in Austin, the leadership was just total douchebag central because they kept posting, we understand that there's blah, 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 and we'll get it up. Da, da, da. They were supposed to do rolling outages, but basically ERCOT, the big gigantic uh, commission that runs the statewide grid, basically just cut the power to everything rather than do the rolling blackouts like they should because they weren't prepared for it. So basically 80% of the state left without power rather than being able to just move it here, move it here, move it here. Uh, but yeah, basically they didn't winterize the wind turbines. So none of that was going, but that's only like maybe 8% of the full on grid. But the natural gas froze on some areas. Uh, the electricity yeah. plants froze because they didn't ever set up any winterizing, so there was no heat to keep it generated. There was no backup power. There was no surplus. There was nothing. They just I like that whole uh, and the wind turbines they froze. That's why they suck. It's like yeah, uh, they put up a pretty good fight, from what I understand. Yeah, well, they also work in Antarctica, so yeah. you know. Well, that's the thing is that <laughs> Texas, for the most part, doesn't get seven days of sub freezing temperatures all over the state because it was pretty much from north to south to east to west and they just always decide well you know it's never a big deal until it happens and it's never going to happen and then of course it happens because global warming climate now, change are you getting are you getting one of those big ass electric bills because of course the way the market is deregulated no. out there the cost of electricity goes way through the roof when this sort of thing happens uh, right? i better not get a fucking bill because i didn't have electricity for four fucking days <laughs> So, yeah. So, it yeah. Was what this has mostly tossed me, having having lived my entire adult life in either the desert or earthquake country, the one thing of like you know preparedness that I've always been told that I have been neglectful on is have enough water on hand. Well, and yeah. I think your experience has taught me that maybe I should finally listen to that one. Yeah, especially in Phoenix. I mean, we had, well, this right? is the other deal is that we still had plenty of water on hand because about two years ago, the water filtration center for the area uh, got flooded because it was just torrential rains for like two days and they couldn't keep up. So we didn't have water for like oh, three days man. in the city and had to boil. So everybody was already prepared for that, for the boil notice. So it's like basically in the last like 10 years... <laughs> Uh, we've either lost power or water uh, at least twice now, 
And so I'm basically with my wife, we're like, uh, I wonder where else we can move that's not fucking Texas. And that's really where we are now. <laughs> so, yeah. Because I don't stick have. Stick them with an unpaid electric bill, even better. Yeah. Screw those guys. So, yeah. So, didn't really do much in the last couple of weeks except, you know, yeah. uh, try to stay alive and then try to pick up pieces. So, yeah. so, so if y'all are wondering why there wasn't a show last week, that's why. Yeah. Because Armageddon. <laughs> Woo! So, yeah. Good times. Good times. Worst camping trip ever. I don't recommend. So there you and go. And I think that, that, that this excuses Chris from our usual segment that starts the show where we talk about what we've been watching and stuff. It, it's the fresh shit. This shit is fresh. Oh, shit. That is fresh. This stuff is really fresh. So, Chris, what were you reading? Yeah. Well, here's the deal. If you want to know, uh, I actually was reading during the out outage because I, st- I still had uh, charge on my Kindle. Uh, so I was able to read. And I had been reading The Thin Red Line by James Jones, which is basically a fictional account of the terrible, awful situation surrounding the <laughs> assault on Guadalcanal during World War II. And that actually made me feel better about my situation overall <laughs> so i i was expecting you to say the boy scout handbook no but okay no i was reading the thin red line uh just because no matter how bad i got here uh i still wasn't in a fucking war as cannon fodder so you know shot and fright everybody yeah. no matter how bad it gets someone else has it worse no shit yeah. so yeah so that's what i did so what do you got I got a ton of stuff, actually. Uh, uh, yeah, I do too. <laughs> go see, fuck you guys. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go through it as fast as I can. Um, okay. This okay. show is gonna be an epic editing effort. I just it's gonna take me a bit. Go ahead, Real Eric. Quick. Go. The Little Things is a movie that they released on HBO and theaters because of the whole COVID thing. It's nonsense. It's stupid. It's dumb. It's yeah. it's like a very <laughs> That's boring procedural Leto. that probably should have been on A and E uh, and. I don't understand how they got, you know, uh, Denzel. Uh, yeah, to do. Well, to let, be in let's this. be fair. What we're talking about is movies that Warner Brothers had slated to dump into theaters on in February, right? Okay. Well, then this is that. It's like I don't know how this didn't get like I don't know how this got made. It's 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 an insanely dumb. It's a procedural that makes you think there's a lot going on. There's nothing going on. Uh, it has a twist ending that is not a twist ending. It's a lazy ending. And it proves yet again that Jared Leto cannot be in a film and be good. He's, he is so blah. He is like <laughs> actor tofu. He well, is, he is, is he just the same Jared Leto we've seen pretend to be the Joker and the big bad in, in Blade Runner, but it's just the same character again? Yeah. I guess. I mean, he, he, he's just, he's doing the... I'm a crazy villain bad guy guy. Yeah. Hello, I'm crazy bad guy. Bro. Honestly, oh, like I, yeah, in, uh, in Fight Club, I, that was his only good role because he was basically there to be a vessel for all of uh, the bullshit that Brad Pitt was going to offer. So yeah. he was just, you know, just there. But it worked yeah. somehow. But no. The, the I, I read a review one, of the one little, movie he's in that I really like is uh, uh, The Lord of War, and it stars the other most useless actor in the world, the, you know, former Mr. Uma Thurman, whoever. You know, oh, Ethan Hawke. Yeah. yeah, and uh, they're both in it, <laughs> but it's still a good movie, like, despite them, okay. you know? I, I read a review of The Little Things, Eric, that said it would have been a better movie if they had cast Jared Leto in the Rami Malek 
role and vice versa. If they had just switched which characters those actors had to play, they would have had a better movie. Oh, I don't know about that. I think they okay. didn't. I don't they know. didn't write it correctly. They didn't. They didn't think it out. It's like, what is this movie about? Is this movie about finding a a a murderer and you know, like saving people from the murderer, or is it about you know the breaking point of police? Because it it doesn't quite know. It's like it wants to mm. do both, and it never comes down. It, I felt like I just wasted my time, and it made me angry. Uh, so that's that's the first. There's one. your box box art or poster yeah. quote. I felt like I wasted my time, and it made me angry. Yeah. Eric I, Reed. I feel like that's going to be the case with all of these Warner films coming out on HBO Max until like yeah. maybe Kong until versus Godzilla. The, yeah, yeah. Into the summer movies. Yeah. We'll find out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get the name wrong, but on Netflix, there's a Cecil Hotel four-part documentary uh, about the the death of uh, Eliza Lamb, Elisa Lamb. You you may know about her. She's the one they, they found the wacky security video of her in the elevator. And then like a week later, her corpse is in the water tank of the hotel. Oh Jesus! You don't know anything about this? No, no. I don't do oh, the cr- I don't do big, the true crime stuff. Jesus. It was a big deal thing at the time. Yeah, it, they was like this woman. This woman got beat up by the football player in or an elevator, or? and you can see her talking to someone, uh, but then you don't see another person. And then, like, she went missing, and you know, a week later, guests started saying that the the water tastes foul <laughs> oh, and it was God. kind of dark. Oh, and no. they go up and they check, and yeah, she's floating in it. She's been dead for a week. And this th- sparked a huge investigation of online sleuths, as they call themselves, and YouTubers. There are people giving, like, doing the documentary. Oh, oh and great. We've I crowdsourced this. the, the and true right crime beneath investigation. Their, their name, where you would normally find a job title, is the word YouTuber. <laughs> and uh, so, it, go, yeah. so this is like a go indict me. Uh, dot com investigation or yeah okay. a, and so it's like well how did she get in there did was she murdered was it was it the devil was it you know it's like all this stuff because it was a weird case and the thing is they start with a lie and that pissed me off they they say that uh the lid was shut on the tank there is no latch system on the lid it's a 20 pound lid there's no way she could have closed the lid on herself from inside the tank she must have been put in there and so the whole time i'm watching this we're going okay yeah but what about the lid you know the lid you can't she something that weird happened the police must be wrong what about the lid and then in the very end they say oh no they found her with the lid off there was no lid on the thing and my yeah, wife and I were like, fuck you. You Classic. mean you made a four-part, four-hour docuseries, and you basically only got me to watch the rest of this by saying, you know, the yeah. lid thing? I was just, I was just so That's like, if, if that were so, a, so basically, it's like a four-part series about um, a magician's act. Yeah. Right? Like, but she was in the tank of water, and then she vanished. Mm-hmm. And... And there was no possible way to escape, except it was a magic show. That sounds yeah. to me like if, if it was a college essay, it would have gotten dinged because your thesis doesn't actually play out for the rest of the essay. So you basically just misdirected. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like Ooh. if you do that in an hour-long documentary, like, like a, a History Channel thing, 
well, yeah. here's the here's the MacGuffin. Here's the the bet you didn't see this coming. Fine. Four hours of this nonsense. And the only reason they did that is they wanted to cover all of the the wackiness with the online people thinking they'd figured it out and <clears throat> all of the the Ouch. weeds they were chasing down. There's one. There are a couple that are funny. Uh, there was a a tuberculosis outbreak uh, in downtown Los Angeles where the Cecil is because it's right in the middle of Skid Row. And somebody found out the name of the test that you give for tuberculosis is called Lamelisa. Like her name backwards. Because her name's oh, Lisa. <laughs> Whoa, what the fuck does and, that mean? And also there's a child pedophile ring at the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> well, then there's the last bookstore, the last place she went to before, you know, the last place she was seen was a bookstore in Los Angeles called The Last Bookstore. And somebody looked at the <laughs> domain registration for The Last Bookstore's site and it's in Canada. It's actually in her hometown. And if you do a Google search of the zip code, it, the pin for Google Maps is on top of the cemetery where she's buried. <laughs> <laughs> so this this whole thing is like the monsters are due on Maple Street from the Twilight Zone, right? Like yeah. just one, one detail, the thing about the lid, and it sends everybody into absolute mayhem. Yeah, yeah. And and ultimately so, it fails. Yeah. Yeah. So so Eric, did you feel like you wasted your time and did it make you angry? Yes. And yes. Okay. Again. Okay. We're on a roll. We're on a roll. Yeah. But we're, uh, we're three uh, for three. But, yeah, and, and the expanse is, is still a, a, a fun show. Um I think they're I think they're running out of steam. I think they can probably wrap it up now. But have have you read the books that that's based on? No. No, no, I haven't. I hear that they're uh they're quite good. If you like the hard science stuff, so huh. might check maybe them out. I, maybe I will check that out. I don't know. There you go. Uh, mm. There's probably more, but I, I don't care. So <laughs> if there is more stuff, <laughs> yeah. it's probably uh, dumb. So let's just get on so with it. You, all right. I'm going to guess, uh, did Brian watch Tom and Jerry on HBO? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Stick, st- I haven't gotten that desperate yet. Okay. I've got others. <laughs> Okay. Um, I'll tell you. Okay, so I did watch a couple of things that you guys have watched, and I I watched on your recommendation. Uh-oh, uh oh. So uh-oh. going back into the uh, first decade of the two thousands pile, uh, I had never seen, and finally watched MacGruber. Oh um, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a hit or miss. It's got moments. Um, yes. Here's here's how I would describe MacGruber, just real quick. Have you ever seen? Yeah a Saturday Night Live movie, this is one of those. Yeah. That's basically... Very much so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. But, Except with a lot more F-bombs. Yeah. Uh, right. And uh, I gotta say, I like I like Val Kilmer in it. He's well cast. But and Ryan Phillippe... Yeah. Ryan Phillippe, though, is like, what are you doing in this? And then why are you so good in this? It's just so strange <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and Kristen Wiig, you know, having to having to straddle the line between basically playing, you know, the the damsel, yeah. you know, duck magnum duck character that, that she should be playing in something called MacGruber, yeah. and also having to somehow react to um, just how, you know, insane, sexist and full of himself the, the, yeah. the title character is. She's got... I think the thing... 
the go ahead. She's got great hair in this though. The wigs yeah, that she and uh, the and, hair. yeah, the, the wigs that she and Will Forte wear in this are just spot on seventies, early eighties nonsense. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's it is fun. It, it it's. I enjoyed it. I had a, a good time. I didn't go in expecting much. I didn't, you know, I didn't get much. I got a little more out of it than than I was expecting. I'll I'll call that a yeah. win. It's no, it's Pat, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> not not taking that bait. <laughs> okay. okay. Good. <laughs> um, and then uh, I I was not on acid, but I did watch Fantastic Planet, which I had never seen. Oh, it's so um, trippy. So trippy. Which you guys had. Uh, recommended as part of our It Got Weird episode yeah. a few weeks back. How do you watch that not, uh, sober? Yeah, really? Well, I didn't say sober. I just said not on acid. Okay. Ah. So that's the challenge. <laughs> um. He was on lewds, man. He did some lewds. <laughs> However you watch it, it's but, best uh, watched in a turtleneck sweater. Going... <laughs> so, for those of you... And the audience who have not seen this fast fantastic planet, I think you can actually find it on HBO Max right now. Uh, yeah, or at least the... go check out the trailer on YouTube. Yeah, I think it it's, is it's on the animated. Yeah, it's animated in the style of uh, it's it's the same kind of style you get from like the Terry Gilliam stuff and Monty Python, except that this is sincere and you know on purpose. And and you and you can clearly see that the art here from Topol. Uh, is you know is is more intended to be still images, and they just kind of tween the animations where they could, um, and and did a lot of things with sort of you know cells and and layouts. And you know what, it works. What really strikes me about it though is I was expecting it to be far more just random psychedelia for random psychedelia's sake. This movie actually has a plot. Yeah. yeah. And. Has a point. It has themes. That's the thing. And if, it had, if it had no structure to it, I would have, you know, like hated it and said, "Don't watch it." I, without structure, it's just, you know, you're you're wasting your time. This is well structured. Yeah, yeah, but it's still yeah. uncomfortably strange. Mm. You know. Well, it they do a great job of sort of uh, criticizing humans by basically saying, "Here's this other race whose planet we are on, who." views humans as pets they're they're kind they kind of treat us like dogs they kind of treat us like ants um and it's everything battlefield earth wanted to be (laughs) (laughs) it's yeah it's it's a pretty good one the other thing i i really cotton to on it which which surprised me a bit so whoever did the music was clearly influenced by whoever was influencing Pink Floyd as they were getting ready to make Dark Side of the Moon. This is this came out in 73. I think they began production back in like early 60s. This thing had been in development for a while. Yeah. But but this this sort of prototypical um Pink Floyd psychedelia music going on that's not Floyd. Um and also I thought it was interesting to realize just how many video games have been influenced by this thing because this is basically a video game plot it's characters moving from scenario to scenario and there is a big overarching plot but it is it's a video game plot in a time well before there were video games um it is surrealist art that a lot of video games i think have have been inspired by and so this to me this was like the kind of 
people who would have been into video game plots, except they were hippies at the time because it was the early 70s. Well, tell me this game um, developer guy, because uh, you raise an interesting question. Was mm-hmm. this plot and movie and everything structured this? It, it was probably structured this way because, you know, they're not shooting on sets. They have to draw everything. Could it be the right. same limitations as a game where it's like, okay, we need to set up the structure this way because, you know, we for this level, we have this world. We're only going to program this much. I think in this case, it was more about the artist's whims, right? He's like, I want to draw this trippy landscape, or I have this cool idea for a monster, or I want to do a scene where everybody, you know, goes off in the woods and has sex. You know, I was literally waiting for him. I was like, okay, there's no way the French anime animated movie isn't having an everybody has sex scene. And sure enough, there it was, you know. <laughs> Right. Um, but I mean, that's kind of like a video game, too. Okay, now we're yeah. going to do all the Tatooine stuff, and then we have a cutscene where it talks about going to the Death Star, and then we're going to do all the Death Star stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think very much that. They, you know, they were clearly backdrops that they wanted to reuse, and they were clearly ideas that they wanted to use, and they, and they figured a way to sort of string a real story across them. And, and I guess, you know, working on it for 10 years allows you to, to like, actually think it through. Um, well. Do you remember uh, last year sometime, I guess somewhere over the summer, I told you about Solar Opposites, the show on Hulu from the mm-hmm. Rick and Morty team? The Rick and Morty people. They yeah. they basically riff on Fantastic Planet incredibly because there's a whole subsection throughout the show where the kid aliens have a shrink ray and just go around randomly shrinking people and then keep them in this weird habit trail city inside their bedroom wall <laughs> and there's like a whole series of subplots around this whole society that they've got rolling so i would recommend that if you like the actual movie because it's just this weird fuck you riff on the whole thing it's so do you ever see the simpsons episode where uh it's one of the halloween episodes where lisa she does the 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 science experiment that you do in school where you take a tooth and you put it in soda and mm-hmm. it the the bacteria that forms ends up forming like a society and of 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 what and it hyper evolves and it's it's you know starts getting flying cars and uh bart fucks with it and so they you know they they lose their utopia views and they become a warlike society and (laughs) fucking crazy so there you go so i guess i'll i'll put a button up by saying if you're like a millennial or a Gen Z person and for some reason you're listening to this podcast, um, and if you're into like the video game plots and or hallucinogens and you hate the boomers, hey, here's evidence that some of the boomers, at least at that point in time, were kind of your tribe. Check it out. It holds up. Fantastic planet. Also, hallucinogens. Try also, hallucinogens. hallucinogens. They're <laughs> fucking great. It's like yeah. it's basically what VR wants to do. And and I don't see uh, uh, morally how you can make VR uh, like not illegal and yet hallucinogens I, illegal. You know, I would just like to point out that Eric is in Oregon, the state that just made all of those things not criminal. Yeah. So go to Oregon yeah. and go trip out in Eric's yard. Or I better would also yet, like wherever to point you out, are now, vote. Yeah. Try voting. Try try being an active member of your fucking society, and then maybe it won't be illegal to smoke in New York, you know? Yeah. And also, for the record, Eric is currently tripping balls, so. <laughs> this isn't really going on right now, right? 
What? What are you talking about? <laughs> What's the matter? What's the matter? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, okay. <laughs> One more. Uh, a current movie I did watch and enjoyed very much. Uh, the new Netflix movie, I Care A Lot. Really? I've heard so much bad about it. Oh, no. This was really? a fun, nasty little bit of work. Okay. Um, Rosamund Pike playing an absolute sociopath. Uh, also, Peter Dinklage playing an absolute sociopath. <laughs> and Diane Weist guest starring. Uh, and, yeah, just, just people being horrible to each other and no one is a really a protagonist and no one is really an antagonist they're kind of both and so you're rooting for and against everybody in this movie yeah fun times because that's the stuff where i heard that it just didn't pay off because it just got it's so so much nihilism rolling that it's just it's hard to really care <laughs> after a while oh no it's just about it's just about the repartee like yeah. the movie kicks into gear at one point where this this other actor whose name I don't have written down uh, comes in and he's he's the lawyer that's gonna really lay down the threats on Rosamund Pike and watching her do verbal battle with this guy. If you're not into that scene early on in the movie, yeah, fine, turn it off. You're not gonna it's not gonna like do it for you. But if you're into just watching people who who will absolutely sh- are just vicious sharks going after each other. Um, yeah, that's what this thing is. Okay. Uh, I will say, you know, some of the criticisms are valid in that um, the movie kind of faints in the wrong direction with uh, Rosamund Pike's character at some point, and, and it's not clear if we're supposed to be taking her side or not. And there's at least one character who doesn't die who really should have died. And there's Diane Weiss is underused. When she's on screen, she's awesome, but she's just not used enough. They had they had her there, and they could have taken it further, and they and they really did not. So, okay, some missed opportunities. I wouldn't call this yeah, I'll, I'll, seven or eight out of ten. Call it an eight out of ten. It's better than a seven. Really, I I had a good time. It's not a great movie, but it it was fun. That's a solid B. That's a solid B. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. You could do a lot worse. <laughs> well, it's Netflix, so yeah, that's just because of that saying. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> there's so much crap on there. So yeah. I'm glad you found something worth swinging at anything. Really, truly, <laughs> it's like the lowest common denominator platform. <laughs> I mean, Rosamund Pike is is a badass, and she gets to be a badass, and you know, Peter Dinklage, same thing. So yeah, it's just badasses being badass at each other. Good She's stuff. easily probably the most successful former Bond girl. You know, her or, um, oh, I mean, Diana oh. Rigg. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, but Diana, but Diana Rigg, Rigg was, was already also a successful. thing before she yeah. was a Bond girl. She doesn't count. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm now I'm trying to think of, uh, Bond girls that had gone on well, to do I, other. Uh, uh, Natalia on a top. I can't think of the actress's oh, name. Fomke oh, Fomke Jensen. Jensen. Yeah. 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 She's, okay. she's of yeah. course done very well too, but Rosamund Pike gets, you know, like, psst, yeah, she's got laudable a, she's stuff. Got a, she's had some you know? good work. Got a good agent. We'll we'll give it to her. Yeah. Boom. Considering I think Halle Berry also that she was in the worst also. Bond film of all time. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Also, so is Halle Berry. Same yeah. movie, in fact. Yeah. yeah. But again, she yeah. was also a big deal before that movie started. Yeah. And really, I'm sorry, should not have been. Can anyone explain to me <laughs> Halle Berry? 
it, in exactly. that movie or like just as uh, a concept they were I trying mean, to make a new <laughs> series but anyway okay uh i think that's the fresh hit is that the fresh hit that's yeah, it. I, yeah i'm that's the fresh hit good so um been a while since we've done a music episode it's been a while it's been a while <laughs> yes it has Finally. been a my my <laughs> no one is listening to the show we could just stop now everyone's turned it off we've ruined everyone's day because now for the rest of the day they're just gonna be walking around but yeah i'm looking back just um, as a remote so uh, episode 156 was the last music show that was our super groups uh, episode. yeah it wasn't that long ago i guess um it was a couple but, months a couple months uh, so, so my, my prompt this time was bands or artists that just totally changed genres, just, just like went in a, took a 90 yeah. degree turn and did something for, else for better or worse for, be- usually for worse, but yes. Yeah. Um, cause I, so, I do, part of me is like, yeah. I think it's unfair to say an artist shouldn't evolve, but at the same time, sometimes it's just sort of self fluffing. You know, it's like you're not really yeah. evolving. Well, you're just get you're you're going so far into either the money or your ego that no one gives a fuck. Yeah, yeah, and I th- it's usually the money. As I as I was kind of researching for this episode, what I realized is that almost all of these changes were about chasing where the money was. Mm-hmm. Really. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm curious. Um, curious which examples came to mind for you guys. Let's start with uh, Let's start with Chris. Chris. Uh, who's somebody is an artist that changed up their style well the the one that always comes to mind for this just immediately is ministry uh because they started as a a depeche modi synth pop euro band and then like six years later they're like kings of industrial grunge rock it's the most bizarre 180 (laughs) well i mean they they ultimately went to like just straight up speed metal yeah it's so strange and i think it's because uh alan jorgensen is the only flu uh flow through from the start to finish uh and somehow he just gravitated towards that industrial weird noise stuff and it's just crazy you can hear him evolve, right? So we start with their With Sympathy album where they're just the straight-up synth-pop band with a bit of a goth tinge to it. Yeah. Right? You know, you've got songs like I Wanted to Tell Her, which is in its own way kind of a disco tune. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to tell her, but I stuck to my lies. I wanted to tell her till I looked in her eyes. I wanted to tell her, but I stuck to my well, lies. there's that, and then Revenge. Yeah, I mean, very straightforward Euro synth pop, uh, right? Which is just crazy, and like every day is Halloween. I mean, it's just right. you know they've got hooks, they got riffs, but it's still danceable. I was hearing some of this on, on Apple Music the other day, and I said to my wife, it's like, 
I, I, you know, I'm thankful for what Al Jorgensen and Ministry did for industrial music, but I kind of want to hear what this band would do today. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> but it's like you can see the flow because with sympathy, and then you get Twitch, which is sort of a weird proto. That's where he starts album. moving in that distortion, yeah. like just he's just going for harsh. Yeah. Right, like super harsh tones. I think part of that was just. You know, we started to get new digital recording technology and samplers, and he was just seeing what happens if I do this wrong. Yeah. Like, if I break this instrument, what does it sound like? Yeah. But then you get to Land of Rape and Honey mm-hmm. in like 88, and you start that leadoff track with Stigmata. It's like, hope my mind just exploded the first time I heard oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? So yeah, Stigmata still works. My 20 year old son heard that song recently, and he's like, "I forgot about this song." I'm yeah. like, "Right? It's, it's it's everything." That like that year, that song was one of the ones that was just everything for me because it just you get to be angry, but you can dance around. I mean, it's just so everything. When I hear when I hear Stigmata, I want to get in a mosh pit. Like yes. that's a mosh pit song right yeah. there. When that scream hits after the opening couple of bars it's like yeah this is it this this expresses everything my 18 year old self wants to tell you right now <laughs> for, for those of you who hold up your phones in concerts and don't fucking move a mosh pit was a bunch of people just kind of throwing themselves at each other right in front of the stage and the only thing that really kept you alive was the, the trust that just the general chaos of particles bouncing off of each other would keep you upright <laughs> otherwise you got trampled yeah, yeah. And if you were Eric, you were throwing elbows. That's just the long <laughs> short of it. <laughs> Screw everybody. I, it's it's I, just pure I remember adrenaline. like like going around in in the pit and like some some smaller kid fell and I reached down and grabbed him by the shirt and yanked him up on his feet and you know we all kept going again. And later on, he was like, "Thanks, thanks for keeping me from dying." You know, but it's like in the <laughs> yeah, moment, really. he was like, "I'm not stopping. I'm having fun." But uh, yeah. I, one of my favorite pit moments was it was a Nine Inch Nails show right around the time of the downward spiral in a small club, no less. And our friend Ed just gets this like insane crazed look in his eyes and he just shoves me straight into the pit and just like, you're going in, bitch, you know? And I'm like, all right, let's go, you yeah. know? <laughs> well, I just remember, uh, I think it was after the fourth album, The Mind is a Terrible Thing to Taste came out. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was the show that I went and saw, and so I had the T-shirt, which is basically just a like the image is an X-ray of a skull, but it yeah. looks like a mushroom cloud from a nuclear blast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a really good icon- iconography. Uh, <laughs> I remember my sophomore year at college in, at USC, uh, I got randomly thrown in with a bunch of strangers for housing in an apartment, and one of the guys that was in there was uh, he's like a Christian kid or whatever, kind of strange. And I was wearing the, sh- the shirt one day, and he just goes, oh, you were into the ministry? And I'm like, oh, God, I know where this is going. I know where oh, this is going. Oh, boy. <laughs> that was really uncomfortable. <laughs> that's the different ministry, pal. Yeah, that's yeah. basically what I said. So, yeah. They don't get it. It's so weird because I'm like, <laughs> I told that story. I've got a friend who has a story and I tell it because I think it's amazing. And then they look at me like, eh. 
<laughs> it's just, really? Yeah. Really? You're not hearing there. this? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, but but yeah, they're they're following albums pretty much where they landed on their eventual sound, right? So Psalm sixty nine, yeah, it's when they pretty much just went full on speed metal, and and, and never from there back. on out, yeah, it's just kind of been the same thing. When we saw them, they they were part of the Lollapalooza tour, the second year of Lollapalooza, and at this is the point where he had so many like harmonizers and distortion effects on his voice, you know, make that that big monster sound, right? Yeah. And what I realized during the sound check is that that's like all effects. He's just walking up to the mic going, check, one, two, and the, and the speaker's going, check, one, two. <laughs> Happy so birthday like, okay. to you. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but if you listen to Ministry at all for our age, when we were teenagers, it's like it starts like that just typical Depeche mode stuff, and then by the end of the decade of the 80s, they're just fully into something else entirely it's just always so strange to me because when i'm on the uh, on the radio and like something from the early years comes on like revenge or whatever i always forget that it's ministry for like three seconds and then i have to do the, right. the math calculus in my head to get from land of rape and honey to that it's <laughs> till to this day so yeah it's just so it's wide i th- i think of like okay so there yeah there are all those bands and they evolved into sort of harder grungier like not grungier but like like aggressive they they got they got a dose of punk rock in them all the punk rock bands didn't evolve they burned out it's like there are no you know bands that were hardcore punk that stuck with it and made a living out of it you know oh oh, but the misfits weren't segue the misfits (laughs) weren't that kind of hardcore punk they were you know they were the misfits. They were their own thing. They get to survive. But, you know, the the cramps, they were sort of rockabilly. Yeah. Yeah. But but I mean, there were groups in the punk scene that went pop. Right? So, I mean, and I I mean, not hardcore, okay? I, yeah, I don't have anything to go but but both the Go-Go's and Blondie Mm-hmm. Uh, would say bands. that they started in punk. They would. They would certainly say they were. Yeah, maybe like before anyone heard them, when they were still learning how to play their instruments. But like, yeah. as far as anyone's ever heard of them, nine. Uh, yeah. I think Green Day falls sure. into that pretty uh, solidly. They used to be a punk band, and then they became a pop band that everyone mm-hmm. thought was still a punk band. <laughs> well, they they sort of they sort of made way for Walmart punk. So we have yeah. Green Day to thank for like good Charlotte. Yeah, and hot Thanks, topic. Guys. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> Blink one eight two. Yeah, Green Day. I'll I'll give Green Day and Blink one eight two some due. Their earlier stuff is really good. I think they're really yeah. good. Yeah, I yeah. don't think there's anything wrong with that sound. I think that it just got overplayed. Well, I mean, it definitely got some polish on it as time went on. So that's that kind of maybe is more illusory to bands that may have changed the sound that that didn't. Yeah, because it's still at the core. Green Day is still Green Day, but it's just way yeah, more produced and polished. I don't think they changed their sound. I, I'll tend, I'll agree with you there, but I I do think Blondie, um, I'll give them credit for experimenting with different musical styles. Yeah, well, Blondie is a good uh, example of one of the like what I would call a disco detour from that era, like late 70s, early 80s, where you had all of these bands that just suddenly decided, hey, we'll, we'll jump on the disco bandwagon and either do a whole album or like a couple of songs. 
And uh, Heart of Glass is definitely of that ilk. Because if you listen to the rest of their stuff, it's way more new wave uh, and not disco. But Heart of Glass is just solidly, just straight up, this is going to get played in a dance club 24-7. Bands like this. This makes me think of um, Beck or Sparks, where they're mm-hmm. not really married to a style. You know, it's there. It's, you right. go. It's like they they are willing to always experiment. That's almost their sound itself. Because yeah, yeah. Like, the tide is high and call me are two of the most like dist- I I would believe right if you told me they were different bands. Well, everything on Auto American, like so, Blondie comes off of Parallel Lines, which which had you know all their big hits, and, and then Call Me right after that, and then the next album they release is Auto American, and Auto American has the Tide Is High and Rapture on it, yeah, which like are both <laughs> so Blondie at that point are just like. Listen, we hang out with Andy Warhol, and we're just going to do our New York art shit now, and we're going to just do crap with our buddies, right? Yeah. So it's it's good on them for just being willing to to go, we don't care, we're cashing in. Yeah. You know? We're going to well, make the album we want, either well, listen or don't. Well, similarly, you could look at like David Bowie, uh, who every album is effectively a different sound because it's just right. David Bowie and then by the time you get to Let's Dance that was just him cashing in him going yeah. I could make one of these fucking records in my sleep and he did and it turned out to be one of the biggest things he ever did I mean, it's Andy, awesome I <laughs> yeah I mean, it's still I a solid say, like, a lot yeah. of people are like no that's his that's his commercial write off some of his Fuck best off. songs are on that fucking yeah. album yeah I, I but, really like that I really like that Never Let Me Down just 80s commercialist synth crap album that he did after but i damn it i like that album there's nothing there and you're allowed the thing is like okay bowie is like theater he's he's just like for him it's a different character he's playing each time. yeah god exactly. really owes him everything for that but right yeah i right. think that this all starts with the beatles who were like a a rock band like any other rock band in the early uh, 60s and they were the yeah. first ones to say okay now we're gonna do this weird shit and everyone was like, "You can do that." <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, the Beatles to love me do, and then you, you know, listen to, you know, anything from the White Album. Again, this can't be the same band, right? Yeah. And the Beatles really took it to the to the extreme, though. We're like, listen, we're no longer about playing con- concerts. We're just gonna make music in a recording studio. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and that can go hand in hand with a lot of the bands from that era, because you look at like the Who started as sort of a mod skiffle kind of a thing, three minute pop gems, very kinksy, and then when the mod thing phased out in like '65, suddenly they're doing like album rock like Tommy by 1969, and then by the '70s they're just doing arena album rock. I mean, it's a total shift uh, in their thing, but it's still the Who, so they didn't really change their sound; they just changed the way they they perform it. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty along much this... Pete Townsend just growing up, though. Because yeah. <laughs> he was just in a band with a bunch of guys who were fucking around. And then he was like, I think I want to actually say something. And the other three yeah. were like, yeah, and, do it. I don't know. Yeah. Sure. I'm Keith so. Moon. I'm going to go get really fucked up. I, I, I want to give a special shout out here to, a, to an artist 
who has been trying to do this his whole career and is a hell of a producer and collaborator, but as a solo artist has just always kind of not done it for me, and that's Todd Rundgren. <laughs> Todd Rundgren hey. has been changing with the times. And, I mean, like, yeah, he produced the first Devo album. He's, he's like, legit, I, as, I, especially as a producer. But I will say this. But, I don't want to work. I just want to bang on the drum all day. You can't get that song out of your head that once Todd you hear Rundgren? it. Is that Todd Rundgren? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, good from there. He the one they got to uh, 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 replace Brian Orr on the cars on the new cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah, he he was fronting the cars yeah. for a while. But that makes perfect sense if you've ever listened to Utopia from like the early '80s, because that's basically a Cars esque uh, pop band that he did. So it's um, it's um, the same flavor. It makes sense to me because in retrospect, the cars are Devo but cool, like. Listen to the cars now and think about what that same song would sound like performed by Devo. It's not that different. It's just a different singer. The evolution um, is very I love the cars. I I I love the cars. Cars. I I I dated a girl once, and we were talking about the cars and how much we liked them. And I was like, you know, I think I'm a bigger fan of uh, Brian Orr than Rick Ocasek. And she just rolls her eyes and goes, "Oh, you're a who's gonna drive me home guy? Shit." Oh, (laughs) it's Ben Orr, by the way. But but he sang a lot of the other hits earlier on too, and people just don't realize it. Yeah, because Ocasek. But uh, I'll never forgive Todd Rundgren for. I remember. Back in, was it, uh, Mondo 2000 magazine, their big interview with Todd Rundgren in the mid-90s where he rebranded himself as TRI and I'm Todd Rundgren Interactive and I'm going to release CD-ROMs and shit. And I'm like, That's okay, the dude. drugs, man. That's just the drugs. <laughs> That's seeing the future, because, of course, other people did do that. Yeah. I mean, he Ugh. wasn't wrong, yeah. but yeah, second rat gets the cheese in this case, I think. Mm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, how All did right. we get off on Todd Rundgren? I, I brought and him Brian up. He was on my list of, yeah. of musical chameleons. So there you go. Okay. Uh, who, what else we got? Who? I've, who I've just got went one. for the money? Who went I've for the money? I've got one, and I, yeah. I think it's probably the biggest, like... The, the biggest switch and the biggest for me fail is Van Halen. Van Halen Ooh. were the mightiest band in the land for like six years. And, mm. uh, you know, like, eh, I would give them five albums. Um, because Diver I'm struggling Downs, with this. You're yeah. saying they changed genre from what, from like Diver Down to 5150 or like. Uh, okay, we- so the first four albums, they are. Hard rock. They are actual metal. You know, not what metal ends up becoming, but they are for the time metal. They opened for Black Sabbath before uh, Van Halen 1 came out, and they blew Black Sabbath off off the stage. Even Sabbath was like, these guys are way better than us. And 
they then someone for Christmas gives Eddie Van Halen a synthesizer and ends up ruining the goddamn band because suddenly they're <laughs> they're they're doing these 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 soft kind of poppy. There's a guitar solo in there, but it's almost an afterthought, yeah. and. And, you know, it's like it just gets softer and weaker. And, you know, this is no longer David Lee Roth's party band. This is Eddie Van Halen's, like, like keyboard experiment. Yeah. And that's when you get Ed, Van, Van Halen. <laughs> Eddie Van Halen was literally on the cover of Keyboard Magazine yeah. at one point. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, yeah, that tells you what you need to know there. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, to he, look at, like, uh, Van Halen 1, the lead track, Running with the Devil... I mean that's just a rock song, but then by the time you get, yeah. yeah, but then you get to 1984 and you lead off with the the synth intro mm-hmm. into that, and with the exception of a couple of tracks on there, that's just more of a pop record. It's okay. weird. Yeah. So so we're ta- we're saying people who go from their their true calling to pop. This and one, Van I Hale. mean, this yeah. one's tough because it's like I know the problem is one. After Diver Down, the rest of the band was like, David, you have no idea what you're doing, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> but and he's so, fun. Like, Eddie Van Halen comes in and he's like, all right, I want to do this keyboardy stuff. This is where yeah. it becomes very sort of self-serving, I think. It's less of, well, you know, he's like, he wants to explore his keyboardness in his yeah. band that has nothing to do with keyboards. Well, and kind then of s- they end up with things like, you know, OU812 and 5150 and other numeric pun album names and it's just well that's shit. also when you when you get to the dividing line when basically they dissolve their partnership with DLR after 1984 and then they get Sammy Hagar and then it becomes Van Hagar I mean that's yeah. literally yeah. how you can describe yeah. the band and it's it's very divisive on their sound because suddenly it's like this slick you know, uh, corporate rock all of a yeah. sudden, you know, and it's just, it's jarring when you go back and you listen from early to mid 80s. It's like, that's totally a different band and a totally different vibe. It's so, ugh. ugh. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 easy listening rock. They, they, they ditched any amount of power that they had come into it with. So, okay. yeah, yeah, they're okay. my, they're my vote for so, okay. Best worst I'll give example. you. I'll give you a, a far, far less badass version of that, but other, <laughs> other artists that go from what. So, let's talk about Jewel for a minute. Like Jewel starts out as like a folk artist and she's yodeling and shit, and then she just went full on like 2000s pop in like the most like awful cash grab, like who did your styling makeup and tried to tart you up kind of way. And just, I mean. She was, was fine for what of, she was. What was the name of that song? It was like... It, she had Save Your Soul? No, no, no. That, no, no. that was, was her big hit. The pop one. We did she just turn it into, like, garbage. But um, she had a pop song that was something like, you know, like, Purchase Me or something. It was like something where when I first heard it, I was like, this is awful. And then I was like, oh, this is ironic. She's selling out with a song that says, I'm selling out. <laughs> and, and and then like I'm not kidding. Two months later, they're using the song in a commercial for like maxi pads or something. Nice. And I was like, this is a whole anti-establishment ad, you know, like thing she's doing. This is I got to see where this is going. And so it's like I performance guess art. Someone figured it out, or she got bored, but that yeah. it ended there. 
Well, I mean, that's similar to that time, though, because you can also put that onto someone like Shania Twain, who's a country yeah. artist, and then uh, what's his face? The who's the Def Leppard producer, Butch Vig or whatever. I can't remember oh, which one. Mutt, Mutt Lang. Lang. Mutt Lang gets a hold of her, and then suddenly she's doing these just like glossy pop songs that are not country at all. It's just so night and day. I need a man who knows how the story goes. There's gotta be a heart beating fine to the world taking earthquake and time. Any man on my When you go from early stuff to the get to stuff like man, I feel like a woman. It's got a, like a little bit of country twang in it, but it's totally buried under everything else synth poppy. It's just oh, okay. It's jarring. So, so that's my that's my biggest um, segue because we're gonna have to talk about the country pop thing because I would submit to you that the entire genre of country music went pop. Um, <laughs> well, that was that was happening even back in the '70s when it was crossing over into the the mainstream charts. Though, I mean, it's you know you can't yeah. just suddenly go, oh, country's pop. I mean, there was always that weird gray area fusion. Well, well, like the Eagles, right? I always thought of the Eagles as just a straight up four, you know, four four rock band. But then, like nowadays, the Eagles sound like a a, a quaint country band from the past. You can. But but if you listen to what passes for country music now, it's like hip hop beats and and white dudes rapping and shit. Like it's <laughs> country music has stopped being country music. The only difference is there are certain harmonies and pedal steel guitars. Yeah. Other well, than that, I think country yeah. just as a genre is just ripe for that sort of thing because you can look at any band and they've got a country album in them somewhere but not all of them are confident enough to pull it off and my favorite is like ween who does all these weird like indie albums that have strange songs and then they come out with 12 country hits and the lead track or like the main track is piss up a rope just the strangest it's, it's country but it's not but it's it's almost like an fu to country uh but it's still a country album so i think every band at some point probably flirts with that but then you know only the ones that are confident move along like even like the stones when they come out with some girls i mean they had a whole bunch of country stuff on that album so it's just yeah it's a flirtation so i would think so dishonorable mention in in the country pop spectrum goes to Gwen Stefani. What the fuck happened to you, Gwen Stefani? Jesus. I like money. 
Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, like, so she was like the awesome, you know, Scott chick in the 90s. And then, yeah, and then she went full on pop. And now she's doing this, like, pop country stuff because she's, like, been on The Voice. And, you know, she's she's married now to um, uh, whatever that guy's name is on The Voice. Well, yeah, but, but let's be fair. Gwen Stefani never met a music genre she didn't like. She will just chase whatever trend. Or Gwen Stefani hates all musical genres equally and finds a way to ruin them. I don't okay. know. Maybe. No. Maybe. I, I liked No Doubt. I liked what she was doing there, but man, I can't stand her new stuff. Yeah. Ugh. It's. Ugh. I got you. Well, shifting gears to another genre, I'd like to bring out some jazz for a moment because this was highlighted for me recently when I watched that jazz documentary again by Ken Burns, uh, and then afterwards watched another documentary about the life of Miles Davis. And when he went from like bop into whatever he was doing in the early sixties. And then by 1970, he's doing the jazz fusion noise shit like bitches brew. That is so bizarre to go from 1959 kind of blue to 1970 bitches brew and have it be the same guy. Cause it's totally different music. Totally. Miles Davis, though, you can pretty much assume it's his evolution and not like, you know, a cash grab kind of thing. So, well, yeah, and I think part of it's just because he was so fucked up on drugs uh, after that. I mean, you could see that I think the, the fusion stuff was just him being disgusted with the state of jazz music, and he just said, fuck it, there are no more rules. And then he brought up guys like Herbie Hancock and whatnot and just said, you know what? Do your thing, we'll figure it out. <laughs> and then you get that whole that whole jazz fusion, and that literally becomes the cliche of people that don't know jazz when they go, "Oh, it's just it's just a bunch of noise," and it is. <laughs> but when you listen to the earlier stuff, it's very very structured, uh, etc. And so it's just a strange shift for me. I just I don't I don't like where Miles Davis went because I just can't listen to it. You know what I mean? It's just not enjoyable music. So. That's my two Eric, cents. We, Chris and I have been kind of just going off. You got some more examples you want to throw out? Well, it's funny. I, I kind of let you guys go because I wanted to find information on that Jewel song. And uh, <laughs> the song is Intuition. And it was okay. a whole thing about, I guess it was about anti-consumerism. Uh, you know, where... Wow, that, w- that fails. Right, <laughs> where she where she's trying to make basically a pop commercial hit out of anti-consumerism. And it drew, uh, according to Wikipedia, it drew uh, 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 a lot of ire from people because it was also used in a $70 million chic uh, advertising campaign. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and that's what made me, of course, think, oh, this is some kind of counter-revolutionary move. But this no. is like Six Six oh. Sputnik selling ad space on their album. Yeah, just really. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, god damn. Um, uh. Love Six Six Sputnik. Um, 
Yeah. Other Eric, other I'm, examples. You know, I mean, uh, I don't know. I I guess I really just came to town with the Van Halen thing. So all, all right, Eric, which I'll is a good one. A softball. Uh, talk to me about the genre flipping in Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. That's really uh, yeah. Evolution as a result of the 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 crewman like like coming and going. Like you have the um, the Sid years where Sid Barrett was the primary songwriter, the the front man, the whole band, and just just genius psychedelic shit. And then he goes completely sideways, and they have to get rid of him. <clears throat> And then you have phase two with Roger Waters, who has to kind of take over the direction. And then it becomes very, very thoughtful, depressing, but poetic. And the music is still fucking awesome. And then the split in Pink Floyd, where Roger Waters says, I want to, you know, I want to end this whole Pink Floyd nonsense. It's not working anymore. And you get David Gilmour running the show. And then it's just a bunch of pop tunes, and it's, it's <laughs> you say that like of, it's a bad thing. It's it. I I know Brian that you have a soft spot for Division Bell, but I just I just retch when I hear you know that era <laughs> of Floyd. It's not well, that they were in it for the money. David Gilmore was you know fucking loaded. It's that uh, they, it, they they weren't it's the about between art and the artistic statement that was being made during the Roger Water years and the music that went under that, right? Like, Gilmore is very much responsible for why that sounded so good. You know, really going back to metal. And and, and he's still able to get the sound out of Pink Floyd, but but the soul and the heart is gone. I'll, I'll, I grant you. Well, it's also <laughs> it's a lot more studio musicians and a lot less Floyd when they were yeah. doing that. Um, uh, lapse. Well, of momentary album, lapse of reason is is a, basically they, a Gilmore solo album. They yeah yeah, yeah it, it literally was because uh, you know and they had won the lawsuit so he just plopped Pink Floyd on top of it to sell more copies. But Nick Mason hadn't played drums in years by that point. He even says I was basically a percussionist. I I had yeah. You know, like my name on there to sell shit, but um, you know, I I I was hardly the a drummer of any sort on that album. Uh, and then Richard Wright, he was like contracted in. You know, they they fired him from the band years earlier because he was such a cokehead. Yeah. But he wasn't really on any. It was yeah, it was a David Gilmore project. And if you've heard, uh. You know, uh, about face, you know, there's nothing interesting about a David Gilmore album. <laughs> <laughs> This sounds in, in, increasingly similar to the Van Halen story that we just discussed. I think so, except, you know, that would be if David Lee Roth was a really great songwriter. <laughs> That's true. Because, yeah, He's Skyscraper is yeah, skyscraper is a terrible, terrible solo album. <laughs> I'll yeah. just tell you that. <laughs> so, and, yeah, even with, like, what didn't get, like, for one of his albums, you got Steve Vai to do yes. the guitar. Because, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, Steve Vai's a great guitar player. He's not a great composer. That's what, that's what Eddie Van Halen was. So I guess, yeah, when you get to Gilmore, he still is a solid song maker. So it's less jarring, maybe. 
He's a solid guitar player. There's no yeah. question about that. He's a that. solid producer too. Like he produced the Kate Bush stuff and you know yeah. Dream Academy. He d- he does these cool soundscapes, but, but yeah, he, he doesn't but he have doesn't anything write to say about anything. And and yeah. I think like the, and 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 Roger Waters is no you know walk in the park either. He's you know his songs can be you know flat boring, but I think that's because he ran out of gas when he was writing stuff for Floyd. That's when they were at their best. Uh, yeah, Roger Waters had the ideas, and he didn't have the talent, and the band brought the talent. Um, Kinda, yeah, yeah. He and wasn't the most separate, they're all diminished. Of all time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, couple, couple other ones I want to just shout out quickly here. I, this is getting long in the tooth, but um, there was a point at which Garth Brooks recast himself as Chris Gaines <laughs> <laughs> and fell on his face in dramatic fashion. Tried to be a rock guy. I could never wow. tell if that was serious or if that was like an Andy Kaufman thing. No, like, that I was right up there with Andy Rob Kaufman Halford thing. trying to do his alternative turn, right? <laughs> yeah. But you got to um, give it to the Chris Gaines thing because he's in there wearing like the fucking jester tights. And that whole like we, like what the hell is going on? It's like this is a weird, weird shift from uh, you know I got friends in low places to whatever this is. <laughs> I why did why what was his beef with Pearl Jam? It's like that's that that unending I must top Pearl Jam. I will get you Pearl Jam. <laughs> yeah, curse you Pearl Jam. <laughs> I I don't fuck? know what to make of any of that. Um. Similarly misguided was the point at which uh, Snoop Dogg renamed himself Snoop Lion. I decided to call him Snoop Lion. Yeah. yeah. He, said, he said his name is <laughs> Snoop you? Lion, and I take him as one. Money makes a man, and that's a crime. If we all were rich, we'd spend more time. Our daughters and sons, they're losing their minds We all feel hurt, he's mine Hear me now, girl No guns are allowed in here tonight We're gonna have a free for all, no fight Well, my only other honorable mention would be uh, the Damned, because they were pioneers not only in punk when the when the album Damn 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 came out, but then once Captain Sensible moved off to do his solo stuff, they really went for it on the new romantic goth stuff. Yeah, with what, Dave Vanian. What Dave Vanian wanted to do the whole time. Yeah, and so it's <laughs> very it's laid. yeah. So they're it's the same band name, but it's very two distinct genres, and mm. I love them both. They pull them off very well. Uh, but it's, you know, the early Damned is definitely not the same as the later Damned. All right, it's just give me, give me a song uh, from each of those versions of the Damned that, that, that we can reference here. Uh, Video Nasty. Yeah. He's coming for you again and again. There's no escape. There's no way out. Strawberries album, you've got stuff like Stranger on the Town, which is kind of very Strangers-esque. 
and then by the time you're on Phantasmagoria, uh, you've got like Shadow of Love that's just very melodic and it's almost like him doing like a cabaret act because Vanian is just Vanian. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's like night and day, older Dan versus uh, mid Dan. I mean, it's just it's intense. Mid Dan. And he kind of tells you where he's going with his name. I mean, Vane is right there. Yeah. Uh, but he always rocked that sort of pseudo vampire look. Yeah. Uh, and then once they went full new goth, it was just that was his deal. Like if you've ever seen him when they guested in '84 on the Young Ones, I mean, it's like he's full on in vampire regalia. Smash <laughs> It Up like, was a great album too. Yeah, that's another. So, one. That's the one I always go to. Yeah. Yeah. So good stuff. So that would be my honorable mention because they really went did an about face and just took a whole new direction. All right. I, it, before we wrap it up, I think I can't do this topic without at least saying the words Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> I think I threw up from a mouth a little. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I call her the little rat face girl. Does that mean? My, 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 my wife is pretty sure that she was grown in a lab. <laughs> she does have I that She does feel, seem yeah. like sort of corporate product that <laughs> yes. was you know, produced she to be is corporate like product. <laughs> Ideal <laughs> pop star, right? Yeah. Like, you know, she's a she can model, she can write, she can it, she can be a role model ass. to preteen girls. <laughs> she can lose the rights to all of her back catalog and re-record it. But yeah. yeah, no, she. But but I've got to give Taylor Swift credit, right? In the same way that I give someone like Justin Timberlake credit. Timberlake didn't really switch genres, but there are some pop stars who are really goddamn good at being pop stars. And good on Taylor Swift for getting out of the country lane and making it as big and her as she possibly could while still maintaining, like, her brand. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Timberlake, though, I'm still pissed because, like, I was just getting comfortable with, like, you know, fat, gross, and ugly. And then he brought sexy back. And it's like, wait, dude, I'm, I just, what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, I well, wasn't aware that sexy ever left. I, you know, I thought sexy had pretty much been all the time. But what do I know? Yeah, apparently nothing. <laughs> and we just proved it here on the Magnificently Huge podcast, like Nothing's we do every about week. Us. Nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, we're bringing nothing back. <laughs> well, we're bringing you back for the next show, but only if you nice. subscribe to the well podcast. Done. Transition. <laughs> subscribe to the podcast, share it on your social media feeds, and check us out on our website, uh, maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. If you just want to check out the old episodes without that whole subscribing and you know the convenience of a podcast app, uh, there you can also find links to how to contact us and give us better show ideas than this one. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. We're at MagHuge. Uh, find our Facebook. We're the Magnificently Huge Podcast. Find our Instagram. Send us an email, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week. Come here, girl.